I, I, I don't know if you guys have some thoughts that you were thinking of sharing with these already, but I was thinking maybe we just introduce some of the context here and for three and for five, I kind of feel like they connect. And then, um, and then if we want to, if we want to say more about section four, we can as well. Um, uh, but that was kind of where I was thinking of at least starting. And then should we, uh, should we uh, do a quick introduction that we can put at the beginning of who's on this? Now let's make them guess voice. <laughs> hey, it's just it's just brother Matt and the brothers Anderson. That's how we say it, right? <laughs> and then you can have a couple of people who are the people who listened to your previous podcast. Though, oh yeah. <laughs> well, we had we did have a question from a member of the stake about um, just just the just the fact that. There is a there's a segment of the population. So I mean, this is if we want to bridge the gap between last week's and this week's. This would be the time that maybe we want to talk about the culture of magic and like divining rods and seer stones and because Joseph, this is the time where where Joseph takes the four years and actually begins the translation process. There's a physical artifact. I was reading uh, Anthony Sweat um, had an article that was in the um, supplemental materials um, in the religious studies, and uh, he makes this. He makes kind of an interesting point. Let me see if I can find it here. So the Book of Mormon text didn't just pass through Joseph's trance-induced revelatory mind; its palpable relics passed through a clothing frock, hallowed log, cooper shop, linen napkin, wooden chest, a fireplace hearth, and a barrel of beans. As historian Terrell Givens uh, deduced, this, this continual, extensive, and prolonged engagement with a tangible, visible, grounding artifact is not compatible with the theory that makes him an inspired writer reworking the stuff in his own dreams into a product worthy of name scrutiny. Mm. Like, I wonder if we need to talk about, like, Emma's a witness. She she moved the, these plates around. She didn't get to, get to actually see them, but she felt through the cloth this physical thing. And, and then linking, so what, he doesn't describe what is the actual translation process. He says, gift and power of God. Um but we have a segment of our we have a segment of our population who still have this image of Joseph with a cloth down and he's looking at the plates and he's got the breastplate and he's reading, he's looking through the the you know the Urim and Thummim at the plates themselves and flipping a page. But Amazon well, description is that he never he doesn't, you know, he's Looking through it, he's looking in a hat like the plates are off to the side, and so I don't. I don't so, know if I mean, want to address that at all. Well, I mean, you already kind of did. I hope this is this makes it into the podcast a little bit with a little edit, clip, clip, <laughs> clip, right? But I, I think that uh, I think there's two parts to that. Number one, um, church published material has added to that confusion because even right now you can go and watch Prophet of the Restoration. And it shows Joseph without even the Urim and Thummim reading the plates, like you've yeah. got a plate down, and he's and he's reading through the plates. And so the confusion's there. Uh, in artistic, like it's there. artistic interpretation, 
Yeah. And, and it's, and it has been, it has been maybe um, not emphasized necessarily, but it, but anybody who has that assumption, it has been backed by church material that's been put out. So my, my second thought though is, is the physical plates is just as important to the process as physical interpreters. Um, eventually Joseph starts to receive scripture in purely revelatory ways, but he doesn't know how to do that at this point. Like he, he needs, he needs that physical, like he needs the physical training wheels of plates and seer stones in order to do the translation later on in life. He could have probably done it purely in a revelatory way, but, but in this point, he doesn't know how to do anything other than with these tools. So in fact, to your point, Rick, you had, there are some things that he receives that are records directly by revelation, right? We have, uh, what is it, Dr. Covenant section seven, which was a, um, a record written down by the apostle John, but he receives it totally by revelation. Uh, it's a vision, right? He sees, but, it, uh, he sees it in vision and yes. translates it. In vision. And then translate. That's right. Yeah. Sees the vision and translates it. And I wonder too, um, if with, you know, physical plates and the, the timing of when the Book of Mormon is coming forth, uh, and, and especially with the, the three and eight witnesses, uh, you have those, those witnesses that, the, that wouldn't have been there were it not for the plates. Right. And especially how they, through the rest of their lives are faithful to that witness. That's a, that's a powerful there, there witness. Could, there could be a, an argument made that the physicalness of the plates was way more important for the witnesses to be coming than it ever was for the translation of the book. Yeah. So here's, here's the question. He, uh, a brother from our stake says, I was hoping that while you are addressing the, the uh, directions and translation of the Book of Mormon, you could address why it was necessary for Joseph to have the plates to translate the, translate when the process uh, was the use of seer stones that the Lord had supplied him. And that's the same for the scrolls of the Pearl of Great Price and so on and so forth. He says, I don't have an answer to this, but would love to hear your insights. And my, my first response to it was, well, we, we just don't know, right? Um, early early in, the, in Joseph's own history that we have in, in Joseph Smith history, he does, he does talk about copying the characters down and attempting his own kind of interpretation of the characters that are then taken to, right, P Professor Anthon. And, yep. uh, uh -huh. but then we have, but then we have other, other stories and other evidence that the plates are covered and off to the side and, and it's purely a revelatory experience. Um, and I think, I, Ricky, I think I agree with yours, your statement there that, you know, the, the physicalness of the plates were necessary for the witnesses. This was not, yeah. right? And, and in fact, <laughs> I guess going into the, the context, one of the reasons that Joseph has to move, move to, um, to Harmony is because there are so many people who are convinced that he has plates. That he has relics. Um, he has to hide them into, um, you know, he has to hide them all the time because people are trying to steal them from him. There's evidence that the stone box, um, people go in like up until, what is it, the, the 18, 1880s? The, yeah. the actual stone box that the plates were hidden in was still 
very much a, a um, like this, this archeological evidence that was left over. And, and the only reason we don't have them anymore is because the farmer got tired of all these crazy Mormons going to his property. And so he plowed, he plowed the hill and he, <laughs> tore, and he, and he removed the box. He like, he, he got rid of it, but there were enough um, of those old school uh, Palmyra uh, residents that talked about the, that there was this box and and so there and and then you're right the, the three witnesses and the eight witnesses there's this need for physical eyewitness testimonies um mary whitmer another one uh, uh emma smith talked about him uh josiah uh stole I, I think he was it him or was it knight joseph knight you know one of the two of them had seen and kind of heart and hefted them and the descriptions of their physicalness. Um, there, there are some of us who need that kind of, there's a physical, actual, um, tangible witness um, that they need to start with before they get to the, the spiritual witness, which comes from actually reading the, the book itself. This almost takes us backwards. And I don't know if this messes things up, but, but DNC 5 uh seems to kind of go in that same direction. Like I think DNC five probably answers that brother's question best uh, because it talks about Martin Harris's wanting. I mean, he's, he served as a scribe for how long? And, and here he is asking for a witness that, that Joseph really does have the plates. So as, as the scribe, he, he didn't have enough of a witness, even though he copied down 116 pages of the manuscript but it's interesting because the Lord's response to Martin is verse 10 of, of section five. This generation shall have my word through you, Joseph. Um, the emphasis has never been on the plates. It's been what's written on the plates. And so uh, I think that may be another answer for this brother is um, the plates really are a symbol. If that um, I, I don't want to say they're they're unimportant, but they kind of are when compared to why the why the plates are so valuable at this point. Not necessarily because they're made of gold or even that they're even ancient. It's that they contain a witness of Jesus Christ, and that's what's most important of this whole thing is the witness that they hold. There is a great church history topic on the gold plates for members who'd like to go check it out. It does contain. Um, gosh, I feel like uh, the majority of what we know about the plates, their dimensions, descriptions, um, uh, even down to uh, the, the actual metals that the plates are made out of, or at least what they thought they were made out of. They were, some thought they were made out of an alloy of, of gold and other, other metals because uh, solid gold would have been ridiculously heavy at the dimensions that they are describing. But uh, um, that, that's just a, a resource that if if members would like more information, it's just found in the the uh, the restoration and church history section of Gospel Library. Cool. Another really good resource um, would be anything that uh, has to do with Royal Skousen's uh, Royal Skousen's work on the Critical Text Project. Um, we have what 25 percent of the original manuscript in our possession. The only reason we only have 25% is because um, Joseph, 
Joseph thought he was going to preserve them by sealing them in a cornerstone of the Nauvoo house, but he didn't do a very good job of sealing it and weather and water and um, destroyed most of it. But we, we do have the original um, printer's text and we have about 20, 25% of the, um, of the actual text that, jo that Joseph and, and our Oliver wrote with, but Royal Skousen and the Critical Text Project, um, he's probably the foremost expert on, and he's got some pretty interesting insights, um, but, but they're pretty lengthy. <laughs> He's, he's not one for brevity, <laughs> so it's, it can be a little <laughs> bit of a dry um, study, but that's also a good resource there. Well, should we talk a little bit about um, the context of section three and, and, and four it. and five? Love the story. Uh, what, what do we know about um, Martin and Lucy Harris? Because really that's what's going on here, right? Is, is Martin... Martin has been helping Joseph and um, he's getting really it's, it's, it's a classic case of peer pressure from his wife, Lucy Harris, who, who initially came with him and actually was initially, I think, supportive of him helping Joseph, but then becomes skeptical. Kind of started as a believer can't. first. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She really did. She started as a believer and, and Martin was still hesitant, but she went and was going to help Joseph and, and whatever way she could. But then when he said, Nope, can't see the plates, she started to kind of make this turn of skepticism towards him and even starts to search through Emma's cupboards and, and cabinets and, and chests to try and find the plates, but doesn't find them. And um, so what, what, what do we know um, that, that may be helpful here as far as Martin and Lucy Harris are concerned? You know, I'd almost... Um... So I guess I guess I just have a different, a little bit of a different perspective. I see this almost as, as an extension of the lessons that Joseph was learning the previous four or five years, of of how, you know, uh, he failed multiple times to get the plates. I see it as an education and failure that Joseph was given very specific instruction, and he kept failing at that instruction, and so things kept getting pushed further and further back, and so he learned some things. And then in comes this man, Martin, who's a really nice guy. He's, he's even, he even contributed monetarily to helping Joseph and Emma as they're trying to make a move down to Harmony. Like he's, he's just been a really great neighbor. And, and he's actually approached Joseph um, to be helpful in the work. He, he's, he's eager. He wants to. But I wonder if this is like the cap, like the capstone test for Joseph to see if he's going to be as obedient as he's seemingly he's got the plates now. I mean, you would think he's learned his lessons on being careful and taking things, you know, exactly obediently. And here comes this guy who's like eager to help, who really wants to participate. But and I think he's it's more than that though. He's, he's mature. He's older. So he's in his 40s. Right. Joseph is 22. How old is Joseph? Yeah, maybe I'm 22. Maybe a mentor role, kind of mentor, kind of fatherly, but he's also rich. He's prosperous. Right. Joseph is very. Their family has never really had any kind of level of prosperity. He's also a newlywed, so you know the 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 think about what it was like when you're first married and you all of a sudden have that that waking up in a cold sweat realization of I'm now responsible for two people's lives, 
and I can barely take care of myself. Um, <laughs> and, and he's kind of coming in, you know, he, he started off a little bit rough, you know, his wife was the believer first, but I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, you know, Joseph is a little naive in the world. He's still, you know, he's still, he's still foolish. He's still, you know, very, what is he, what did he, how do you describe himself? Very jovial, lighthearted, right? He, uh, I don't know that he's, obviously when he gets through like the Missouri period, he's maybe a little more cynical towards, you know, people's true intentions, but there's probably still some, some youthful, you know, just trust. I just, I'm naive and I'm just going to trust this guy has got my best interest at heart. And boy, I really don't want to disappoint him because he's, he's kind of paying for, for, you know, he's supporting me right now. And I, you know, I think there's more to it than just the fact that, you know, he wants to be a help. I think there's, well, the Lord says it in section three, you're, you are fearing man more than you fear God. Like but that, but if it's interesting, problem. you you compare the lessons he learned just by getting the plates. He learned that he needed to be exactly obedient. You know, when he put the plates down and then and then tried to move the rock back and then the plates disappeared. I mean, for a reader that looks, sounds kind of ticky tacky, but but Joseph kind of learns quickly. No, if, if this is what I got, this is what I got to do. And here you've got a man who, yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. He. He comes at a different level than Joseph and Joseph's really trusting him. So when he asks for a favor, can I show these papers to my wife? Cause my wife is really doubting that I'm wasting <laughs> my time. Here. <laughs> yeah, she, I'm wasting my money. I'm wasting my time. I, I, I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing credibility with my community. It would really help me out, sir young Joseph, my boy, if, if I could just take these and show them, I think this was like you, the you test. Threw in there like, Hey, remember when I gave you that money? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of you. Like, come on, do me a solid. I'm, I wonder if there's a little bit of that kind of pressure too. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. well, and maybe that's why the Lord is so, you know, um, I don't know. He, he's, 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 he's very clear to him. Uh, where did he say it? That you, uh, you've hearkened to the words of a, a wicked man and uh, you should have listened. Doesn't, he, doesn't even mention him by name. <laughs> Just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does that to Joseph too, right? At the beginning, he says in verse four, although a man, Joseph may have many revelations and have power to do many my works. And I wonder if the Lord is doing that to be kind, you know, I think people take, more kindly to correction when they're not singled out. He just kind of leaves them to figure it out. Like, Hey, Joseph, I'm talking to you or Hey, Martin, I'm talking about you, but uh, you know, verse six, again, how oft have you transgressed the commandments and laws of God? Uh, yeah, he's right there, isn't he? <laughs> Joseph, Joseph for the past five years has, he's failed multiple times. You know, uh, Moroni was constantly correcting Joseph. Hey, you need to quit. You need to quit the company of the of the money diggers, right? You you need to, you need to make sure that you know all these things. He has constantly the story of Joseph Smith in these early years gives me great hope. Yeah, can we can we talk about that for a second? Because we we sing praise to the man, and we sing, "Oh, how lovely was the morning," and we get this very romanticized image 
of Joseph, the prophet of the restoration and, and very heroic and martyr, right? We get all these things, right? Um, the first couple of revelations we get is, is the Lord chewing out Joseph. Yeah. Um, he's, he makes, and in fact, I think it's one of the, the most wonderful things that Joseph does is that he shares, look, if you're expect perfection, he says this later in Nauvoo when, when everybody's turning against him, you're going to expect perfection from me. I'm going to expect perfection from you. I've never claimed that. In fact, go look at the revelations. How oft have you transgressed? Like I, I've made those mistakes. Um, I think it's important that we recognize as, as, a as a, a Bushman, uh, Bushman's book, it, the title rough is Rough Stone, Stone Rolling. And he's always yep. said that, that all of these trials, all these different experiences have served as a polishing experience. And mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, I think, and, and I, I agree with that. Verse eight, um, you know, he's being pressured. He's being, um, you know, you, you're doing me a solid, you know, three times to the Lord. And the Lord said, look, if you'd have been faithful and, and then, then, then I would have extended my arm and supported you against all these temptations, against the fiery darts of the adversary. And you, and and he would not have been with you, and, and he would have been with you in every time of trouble. The Lord tries to. This is the kind of the final. You're right. This is that final lesson for Joseph. Like, I got you, but but you got it. But you got to be faithful. So I I love here that he. It, it, even with all this rebuke, he, he, it, this rebuke is couched in hope because, you know, when, when Martin comes back to the, to the Smith farm and he tells him, I lost him, Joseph, I've lost him. Uh, Martin or Joseph is just beside himself and feels condemned before the Lord. And the first thing the Lord tells him is look, the works and the designs and the purposes of God cannot be frustrated. And then again, he, you know, he gives him the rebuke. And then in verse 10, he says, remember, but remember, God is merciful. Therefore, repent, and you're still called. Yep. And I, 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 I just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've thought about this section, and I thought, you know, if if Joseph was really um, wanting to, um, if if he wasn't really a prophet, uh, but he was just leading along this elaborate hoax, why would he include a revelation that is so rebuking of him? And still saying, look, okay, yeah, you've made mistakes, but try again. Get back at it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've often thought uh, kind of to Ryan's point of, you know, um, you know th this, this whole idea that we kind of put Joseph up on a pedestal so much. Um, if I were in my, in my youth, if I was a 17-year-old, and I was called to do this huge work like Joseph was, um, uh, I would need to go through the same failure education that Joseph did, uh, which is, to be honest, that that is the same education we all go through. Now, I'm not called to be a prophet, but I am called to do the, my own work, like, like what Moroni said. We are all called to a work. Um, and, and the Lord, th this is the principle I take from from the whole story is the Lord is going to prepare us through our failures. Uh, he, he's going to provide opportunities for us to act. And as often happens, our actions will fall short and we are, we are given the opportunities to try again. The one bit of context I didn't know about this section until recently, and I need to, 
I need to go double check this. So if I'm wrong on this, please, please check this. But Joseph, he's all the way in harmony. And it's, and, and he, Martin is just nowhere to be, to be heard from. So he travels all the way back to the Smith farm. Well, what else, and that's when he, and what else is happening at the time? Emma gives birth and they, and they lose their yeah, first child. Emma, they lose, and Emma and Emma's lies. still kind of recovering. Yeah. yeah. And so, and Emma's like, you need to go find out. I'll, I'll be fine. And so he leaves, he's at the Smith farm. That's when he finds out all is lost. And as he's making his way back to Harmony, Moroni shows up with the Urim and Thummim and says, the phone's for you, kind of a thing. <laughs> like, like, here's the Urim and Thummim. The Lord has a message for the you. The Lord's waiting on that's line one. <laughs> yeah, on line one. And, and that's section three. So, so he's already in this, like, gall of bitterness. You can but imagine is it, Joseph. Is it like that scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? <laughs> which where he, one? Thinks, where he thinks he's talking to Ferris and, and but it's the dad <laughs> Ferris is on line two Ed Ed and it's just like blinking light oh no I gotta go talk to him <laughs> but you can imagine Moroni showing up going dude I've told you this many times okay now you need to hear it straight from God like here's here's your rebuke I've already rebuked you and then it's section three, and he's he's in that moment of gall of bitterness where he's just like, "Oh, woe is me, I'm 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 damned." I mean, if you can imagine a kid who's been caught so many times doing the wrong thing, and then gets caught that last time doing a really naughty thing, and that moment we're like, "Oh, I'm going to get it so bad." That's kind of Joseph's thought here at this point is, uh. I, it, Anybody who's ever like felt the guilt, you know, scriptures describe it as they wish that people could, that they could hide under the rocks instead of face God. I can imagine Joseph just wishing a mountain would fall on his head so he wouldn't have to face what he's about to face. But the message, although reading it seems a little bit condemn, condemning, like you said, Matt, is, is couched in mercy. Where, where do you see the hope in the message? Um, Nine and ten. Uh, thou art Joseph. Thou was chosen to do the work of the Lord, but because of transgression, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. Remember, God is merciful. Repent of that which that which thou hast done, which is contrary to the commandment which I gave you. Thou art still chosen and art again called to the work. I mean, that that whole thing is huge. Again, verse eleven. Except thou do this, thou shalt be delivered up and become as other men and have no more gift. I mean, uh, it, this is definitely, you know, section one where it's uh, the two voices, I guess, is in the introduction. We, we get to hear the firm yet tender voice of the Lord. Chat, section three is a perfect example. He is firm. You don't get this right. You're going to lose your gift and get cut off. But remember, I'm merciful. And if you repent, we'll take care of it. I think it's perfect. It gives a lot of hope, a lot of hope in this. Now we only, we only get to cover part one of this story here, right? Part two is when we cover section 10 and we'll, we'll see how the and, story resolves itself. But um, there's, there is some great hope in the, in, in all of this. I, Elder, I, I read a, I read an account that Elder Renlund shared and I can't remember if he, it was something he shared on his Facebook page or if it was a talk that he gave anyway, 
he tells a story when he was a missionary, he was assigned to work in the office and something happened in the office that just rubbed him the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we can remember experiences, whether in the mission field or just early in life where just something rubs and we're just grumpy, right? We're just upset about it. Like, how can this be? Ha- and we're, and he was just, he was just grumpy about it for, for like two or three days. And he said he came in one morning and there was just a simple note sitting on, on his desk from his mission president and just said this, I expected more from you. And that's all it said, right? That's, that's almost as bad as parents saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like, please be mad at me. Yell at me a little bit. And, and Elder Renlund said that was, a, that was one of those moments because he, he had such respect for his mission president that that was what he needed to shake himself out of whatever bad mood he was or for whatever reason. And I think we've all had those experiences. And then, and then we look back on it, we're just like, oh, that was a stupid way to react to that, that situation. And yeah, Joseph, I think one of the famous quotes that comes out of this whole situation where, where Joseph says, I have learned this one rule, when the Lord commands, do it. That, that becomes cemented into his mind from, from this time forth. And there may be a secondary lesson from Martin. Um, Martin's not asked to be scribe ever again. I mean, maybe he does a little bit, but I, I don't, I don't think he does. Like, I, he's out. Yeah. No, it's, and and there, there is a lesson there. Emma and Oliver after that. Yeah, you, you can, you can make choices. We are all free to choose, and repentance is real. But there are times where the consequences are such that you do lose some privileges, which is kind of what, uh, what verse 14 says. This is the reason that thou hast lost thy privileges for a season. Now, I know that's the Lord talking to Joseph that he couldn't translate for a time. But look at Martin. Um, he, he's kind of out, uh, and he's out for a while until the three witness situation happens again, but he never gets to participate in the work of the Book of Mormon until he's asked to pay for it. Well, I think this I mean, is that, also that's about, where, where the Lord knows his servants. He knows Joseph's learned his lesson. He's learned it a hard way, but Joseph has learned this lesson. Martin doesn't really learn the lesson. Martin struggles with, with this kind of being obedient and faithful, and like, he struggles with that the rest seeking, of his life. And seeking proof. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even even being I, one of the three witnesses. Yeah, yep. Well, is there, uh, we're, we're kind of coming to the point where uh, we have shared quite a bit. Uh, is there anything? Did we, you... did we officially start? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. No, we need to still do that. <laughs> start with an opening prayer. Um, but uh, is there anything else that you guys would share about uh, section four, section five? I, I kind of feel like section four is to that point that, hey, Martin is still learning this lesson of, I need to believe first. I need to believe. I, I, I want. You mean sec- you mean section five, right? Five. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Section five. That's what I meant. Well, the only thing I'd say about section five, and we can read this in Saints, is that the whole the whole impetus for section five is that um, Lucy is like filed a lawsuit against the Smiths, and Martin is being called as a as a witness, and he doesn't know what to do, which is why he asked for the revelation, in which the Lord actually says, "I'm not going to tell you what to say." Um, you're going to have to figure this out for yourself. You're going to need to have faith. And, and Martin, to his credit, does go back and testify um, 
No, no, I gave freely. This work is divine. Um, I believe in it and, and charges are dismissed, but that's kind of the impetus is that Lucy has kind of filed these, these, these charges of, of fraud. Um, I think, I think for section four, um, I, I think the only thing I'd really add to this is um, it, it is appropriate, it seems, and very interesting um, that in these early times, in the early sections of Doctrine and Covenants, um, there are these sections that are from the Lord through Joseph to individuals, and, and they feel, uh, I've, heard, I've heard certain scholars refer to them as kind of patriarchal blessing-like, and I find it interesting and appropriate that Joseph Sr. is the first one to get one of these. Um, because he was a, he was a main search. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this, uh, count this as his, you know, this is the beginning of his training, but as a main supporter for Joseph and, and really a main supporter of the restoration of the church, uh, he's the first one to receive direct seer revelation about what the Lord expects of him and his work. And if you look down that list of what the Lord tells him to do, and you look at what Joseph Sr. accomplished in his life, he nails it. Section four outlines what Joseph Sr. does the rest of his life until he dies. So that's what I'd add to that. This podcast expresses independent views of hosts and guests which are our own and are not intended to reflect the official views or teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.